Hawks head coach. Brad Korn is here. Now this is uh, now you're from DeKalb, right? Uh, Plano, which is about 20, 30 minutes from DeKalb. Okay, about so, that area, yeah. So you're uh, you're in the Plano area, and so you're used to weather like this. I'm from Macomb. It's the identical weather, man. I mean, not only is it freezing cold, tons of snow, but at least in Macomb, it's always windy. It's like you're in Chicago. Yeah, but it's been now since 1999 since I've had to deal with it like this. So um, I've, got, I've gotten used to a little bit being further south, and uh, this is a little bit too cold for me now. Well, and we got home uh, pretty late. Well, not super late. I mean, we've, we've had some games where we got back at 4 and 5 in the morning. Uh, but uh, I think we got back you know, a little before 11 at the Show Me Center, but uh, it was very cold when we got back off the bus on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, it was uh, the door creaked and with, the, with the rain and everything else, and then the, the temperature dropping the way it did. It was, uh, I was a little worried at first, but uh, everybody made it home safely. Thankfully, we made it home safely because it started to snow a little bit on our way back. I know the bus driver was concerned, but uh, obviously no uh, no issues there, so that's good. So do you, do you give your... your Players, special instructions, especially maybe somebody who did not grow up in super cold conditions, and say, "Hey, uh, here are the things we need to do here because we got to, you know, make sure everything uh, goes off without a snag." Yeah, we have in the past, uh, not this year, uh, but we have in the past, especially when a guy like Nate Johnson, he's from Miami, uh, came up, and and here too, you deal a lot more with ice than you do necessarily snow. Snow is fairly easy and manageable, but it's when you get that ice that you want guys to be cognizant of because again walking into areas and slipping and falling we all know people that every year get hurt uh, just randomly like that so just trying to put it on their radar they can't just sometimes the young people they just it doesn't you know sunny and 70 degrees every day in their world sometimes it's like hey this is something you need to be aware of and uh, so we've done it in the past especially when the temperatures get this low you got to be got to be smart and fly we always say fly a jet plan ahead uh, getting your car started to get to where you got to be getting the ice off the wind all that type of stuff so just Trying to make sure you head off as many issues as possible. And for those who don't know, like a guy like Nate Johnson, who's from Florida, he may not own a coat. They get coats when they come to SEMO. You've got uh, you've got nice warm coats that are distributed to the players, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, a guy like Adam Larson doesn't need a coat being from Wisconsin. He's, yeah. he's pretty used to it. But uh, some guys, like you said, like Nate Johnson from the warmer climates, Eric Reed, another guy that was from Louisiana. Um, I think when he came to the Midwest because he went to junior college in Texas, uh, something that was crazy for him was to see a house with a basement. Because uh, in Louisiana they don't have sure. basements, obviously because of the flooding. So uh, it's just it's that's what's cool about sport. Uh, that's what's cool about a team. You get to learn about different uh, ways of life and what guys have grown up accustomed to and what they haven't. You know, and uh, you you want them to dress warm. Uh, there's always that one nut that will wear shorts, even though it is uh, nine degrees outside, wind chill minus three. There's always that one guy walking around in shorts, Joe Hobbs. Yeah. He says it's 10 degrees now, so it must have got above. He knew what the temperature was going to be. If it ever drops below zero, maybe we'll get in some pants. Up to double digits. All right. And uh, actually, when we were in Cookville, it was uh, it was fairly warm compared to where it was in uh, in Cape. I think uh, Saturday morning we boarded the bus about 30 degrees. Yeah, it didn't feel bad. Even now, I mean, as long as the sun's out, you feel okay. And the wind's not blowing, but if that wind gets blown and that sun's not out. It can get it can get to your bones real quick. So you played at uh, Tennessee Tech on Saturday, and that is a, a tough place to play. SEMO uh, went into that game having lost six in a row at the Eblen Center all time, 5-25 and 25 in Cookville, Tennessee. I mean, it has been a tough place to win. They're not the only team that has had a hard time playing in Cookville, Tennessee. 
this was a really good game at the half. It was tied at 37. Your thoughts on uh, the quick start that you got off to because you were lamenting the fact that, uh, hey, you know, we had to rally from down 18 points and uh, finally get a sense of urgency in the Lindenwood game. Uh, I w- was talking on the radio on our sports talk show saying, I'll, I'll bet a million dollars they're going to come out and get an early lead and get off to a much quicker start because that's what you guys were going to emphasize to your team. You did get off to a quick start. Yeah, and I, that, I think that was the most disappointing thing against Lindenwood. Again, it's, with this team, it's, it's weird, Eric, because it's not, of course, we want to win all of our games. It's not like anyone's trying to come in and lose a game. But it's, it's how you play uh, that really determines that, of course. And I just didn't th- we didn't play against Lindenwood. We just showed up. And that, that's the disappointing thing because we're not that team that can just show up. Every team is different. Every year is different. And a year ago, quite honestly, we had some guys that we could show up and talent would take over in moments. And we're just not that team this year. So I, I thought we were going to be beyond that. And then it reared its head again against Lindenwood. And so that's the frustrating part there because, again, no disrespect to Lindenwood or um, to Cole, who had a career night. We allowed that to happen. You know, I don't, I, there's a difference between losing a game and getting beat. And I, I, to me, we just we didn't get beat. We lost the game. And that, that, that's the disappointing part. Uh, so to come out and play the way that we did in the first half, and really all game against Tech, I thought we, we played well until it got to that eight-minute mark, six-minute mark where we weren't hitting shots. I think it was one field goal the last eight minutes of the game. Up until that point, we were doing well, and then we just defensively uh, just didn't have enough resistance and enough physicality to keep them out of the paint. So they were just bleeding the clock out, went to a high ball screen, and then just for a lack of a better way to put it, we just kind of let them score. And that was that's where the guts of the game, that's where you got to dig, dig in a little bit deeper, uh, find something within yourself. Uh, there's no, When the ball, the way they play, again, we talked about it after, the way they play, they keep the ball in the middle of the floor. So, again, they were shooting the three really well at that point. Going into that game, they'd only made six threes per game on average. Now, we helped a little bit of that in the first half by uh, the number 15 kid. I can't remember his name. He's he only in two there threes. To, to shoot threes. I mean, he had, he had uh, I think, 14 made field goals, and 12 of them were threes. So the reason he's on the floor strictly is to shoot a three-point shot. And we help off the corner, and then we overhelp on a drive and give him two threes in the first half when we really were playing well. Uh, so, again, those are, those are self-inflicted wounds. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always after the fact of, like, yeah, I know. Now we've got to get to the point of knowing before it happens because uh, anybody can say sorry, and very few just get it done. You know, the my bads need to start turning into my goods. And I, just part, again, more of the, the growing pains um, that we're going through. But, uh, again, all in all, in the first half was – was great. I thought it was the best. Our offense was flowing and moving, continuing to play, not just one guy dominating the ball, getting the ball into the spots uh, that it needed to go, uh, getting clean looks. Josh Early has been a horse for us the last four or five games, and I've talked about it every every year I've been here, and it's kind of weird that it seems to be, keep being our centers, uh, going back to Manny Patterson, Nate Johnson, and now Josh. They get to this point in January, they're kind of just like, you know what, I'm going to be a senior, and here's what it is, and here's how I'm going to – because I think everybody goes in – uh, no matter if you're Josh or if you're a center or if you're a point guard, you go in kind of in your mind how, how the year and how my game is going to go. And then once you get to that point of like, you know what, let's just focus on the things that I can control. And even though you preach that, even though it sounds good, actually applying it in the game are two different things. And I think Josh is applying that now. Um, he's been a, I mean, he's just been a force. You know, he's just a, he's a guy that we can throw the ball to. We're getting great production from him. His energy level is high. And now we just got to get 
to the point now because as it goes on, we're going to start seeing he's going to start seeing more and more double teams uh, because of that. So now getting yourself in the position, deep post position, middle of the floor, because, again, just like I was talking about with Tech, if that ball stays in the middle of the floor, where is that help going to come from? And that opens up everything else. So putting it, continuing to put him in good positions and good spots so we can continue to execute. And if we get a little bit tougher out front, individual one-on-one -on -one defense, keep guys out of the paint, uh, there's, there's a lot of games out there for us to win. So it's four straight double-figure scoring games now for Josh Early. He had a career-high 20 against Tennessee Tech. He made a jump hook down on your end of the floor in front of your bench. Mm -hmm. What was he, 12 feet out? He had to be off the glass, 10 too. or 12 feet out off the window with a jump hook as they were running over with a double team. That's about as far out as I've seen him make a shot. I mean, he, because he never fronts up and just takes a jump shot. That, that's not his game. Right, right. And he's, I mean, he's got unbelievable feet and his touches for a big guy that size. It's, you don't see it very often. With both hands. Yeah, yes, yes. You know, he prefers that right block, left shoulder. Uh, but he made a great up and under move in the first half on the other block, on the left block, uh, down on their end, on Tech's end. So he has great footwork and great touch. That's why it's a little bit surprising that his free throws are a little bit poor right now. Uh, I think it's sub 50s. Um, but he did go six of nine in the Lindenwood game, a little better. Yeah, and that's got to continue to happen because up until that point, I think you'd only taken. We talked to him. He's like, Josh, you've only taken seven free throws on a year. Like, someone your skill set and size. There's no reason why you can't be getting to the foul line five, six, seven, eight times a game. And so, again, it's more just rhythm and touch um, for him and flow. And I think he's starting to understand things. Things are really starting to settle down for him. Handling that double team is going to be the next layer because you're never done or you're never finished product just because you had two good weeks. You know, it's that old saying, success doesn't care what you did yesterday. And, you know, you're not going to just show up again and just keep doing and scoring 20 points. The teams are going to game plan for you. And uh, getting him to understand that, getting our weak side guys to understand that. You know, it's not just on Josh. It's really more so those guys on the weak side um, recognizing that, helping him out. It's no different than when a guard gets trapped in a ball screen. You can't just throw your hands up in the corner and say you're open. You're not open. He can't see you. Uh, so that's going to be the next progression for us offensively with him having the production that, that he's had. But his touch, is, his touch is amazing. I've not seen a guy with that kind of touch uh, from all spots on the floor. Uh, the only guy, and I'm not saying he's Tim Duncan, but Tim Duncan, the NBA great, Hall of Fame, all that type of stuff, maybe the greatest power forward of all time, he would always use that bank shot. I mean, if you've mastered that, it's really an unguardable, unblockable type of a shot because of the angle that you use to shoot it. Now, he didn't do jump hooks as much maybe as uh, as Josh Early. I mean, Duncan would take a straight-up jump shot and use yeah. the board. The two guys that come to mind for me – that used the backboard a lot. Scotty Pippen did, yeah. and Tim Duncan. Yeah, and again, it's just it's a, a lost art, isn't it? It is, and it's it's not a it's not an easy shot. It's one of those shots that once you've the reps and the and the, the of hitting that spot, you know, right where the corner of the backboard, where the two white lines meet on the square, it's kind of that little sweet spot there. And if you but you have you can't just throw it at that spot, obviously. Um, you know, you got to get good arc. And Josh, you see his ball. Sometimes when he shoots, I'll be quite honest. Sometimes he shoots. I'm like, where's that going? And all of a sudden, just sweet little kiss off the glass. So you've got to have amazing touch. But it is one of those unique shots where if you get that shot mastered, it's very hard to deal with because it is a different angle. You're talking about almost a whole foot different from what everyone sees on a regular jump shot. So early in the game, he scored about three or four field goals. No double team. They came out of a timeout. Here comes the double team. And the first time he saw it, he threw it into the backcourt for a turnover. After that, 
not only did he do well at passing out of the double team, but he did well at shooting the shot before the double team guy got there. And, I mean, let's face it. I mean, SIU Edwardsville was watching game film. What do you do now working on double teams in practice? Because I'll be shocked if you're not going to see a lot more double teams now. Yeah, and I mean, it is what it is. Call it what it is. If we're not going to be shooting the three well, people are just really going to pack it in. It's like, hey, here's a guy getting 20 a game. Let's pull all of our attention there. And so now that's the, the yin and yang of it all is you hope that that ball gets out and we will start making some, some shots. I, I really feel we can. But to your question is, that's what I was saying earlier, the deeper you post up, the harder it is for a double team to come, whichever way it comes from, because everyone has different philosophies. You can go ball side. You can go baseline side. You, you can designate a guy uh, to come from. We actually practice all three of those. Uh, but the same thing when we put together a game plan. If we allow them to catch it deep or on the block, it's, you're, you're at their mercy. And so same thing for Josh now. You have to get deep post touches. I think the thing of it is, too, is if you get a catch, kick it right back out, repost again. Uh, and then we'll work on some things today and tomorrow to where and he came in the, they came with a double team in the second half, and TJ made, we call it a 45 cut. So if you're on that weak side, kind of that wing cut to the lane, we call it a 45 cut. TJ made a great cut. The ball just went right through his hands. So putting pressure on the rim still even in that, in that post-trap area, you can cut on the weak side and open things up for Josh. And he's now got to do a good job of sometimes you don't have to hit a home run play. If the guy that's cutting isn't open, just he's got good enough skills, good enough ball skills to where he can just dribble out of the post, get it to a guard. I know Kansas would do a lot with their – they have the great big guys in the past, and the big guy would get it out immediately and then immediately go follow it with a ball screen. So there's a lot of different ways that we can do that and put a lot of different tools in Josh's tool belt and allow him to just be a basketball player and play out of it, uh, but equipping him the right way so we don't turn the basketball over because he is going to see a lot more traffic and a lot more double teams. Does it surprise you? I mean, Tulsa's a pretty good program. Does it surprise you? He plays three years there, averages one point per game in his career. He just couldn't get on the floor. I, I mean, I watch his skill set, and I think, I, I mean, were they that good in the post that Josh Hurley couldn't see the floor in Tulsa? You know what? I don't. I think, you know, there's a lot going on there. You know, Coach Mar, uh, Frank Haith. Uh, didn't didn't make it past that last year, and we got him and Gavin uh, from the from the portal. But um, you never know what's going on at another another place, or who even was on the roster at that time. Funny thing about Josh was is we got Gavin was kind of that year. So that was the first year that the portal really kind of hit, and we had seven. I think it was seven or even maybe eight scholarships open, and Gavin was kind of that first one uh, to commit to us. And then we knew we needed big guys and so we took josh and we took david and we brought mason and all in that same class and so we knew we needed bigs losing uh, manny and uh, darius agnew and other guys that we had had in the past so we knew we needed big guys and of course for our level they, it dries up pretty quick um, because those are coveted positions and the guy was like well what about my guy josh Hurley? have you guys called him yet and because of the portland because of his lack of production he didn't even really pop up on our radar uh, but i did remember him from the time that he he played with the same AU program as Kez Bell did, and that's GMC, Kansas City uh, AU team. So I was like, well, man, I remember seeing that kid in high school. He's in the portal. And I just, you know, his size, his skill set in the OVC is like, man, we got to take our chance on that. we got to give him a call. And uh, so come to find out there's other things going on there and just did our homework on him. And uh, it happened kind of late, but he is a he is a force. He is a load. When he plays like that, and I'm just happy to see him have consistency with it because even a year ago, you know, in the OVC tournament, for example, Lindenwood, eh, not such a great game. Then he goes and has a big-time game. Or he was great against Lindenwood, I'm sorry. 
and then has kind of a lackluster game, if you will, against TSU, and then comes back against Moorhead the next day and has a double-double in the OVC uh, semis. And so now you're like, man, if he can get some consistency. And then the f- beginning of the year, you know, he's dealing with some injuries and things right. like that. And It was um, a hip, right? Hip, groin, abdomen, yeah. kind of all that, just muscle in the midsection. And, um, again, you're putting too much pressure on yourself probably because it's my last year and I'm a senior and i got to do all these things. And uh, So now to see him have the consistency that he's having, it's not just been one game or on a game, off a game. He's been pretty consistent. So that's as we head into the latter part of conference play, to have a guy like that down low that you can count on every single night is huge for us. So you mentioned um, when you were looking at Marquez Bell, uh, you remembered Josh Early. I don't know how many Red Hawk fans know. I mean, we talk about it on the broadcast from time to time. Marquez Bell has a twin brother named Kendrick who just won the national championship at the University of Michigan as a wide receiver. How cool is that? And uh, what were the teammates kind of saying as Michigan was getting ready to play for the national championship against, uh, against Washington? Yeah, well, his, his brother's with the 49ers, too. Right. His older brother, Ronnie Bell, is with the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And I think he even got a touchdown, maybe, in the last regular season game, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, just an unbelievable family, though, uh, just athletic family. You talk about your brother going to Michigan. Cool story about that, too, is obviously Coach Pickens was here, played at Missouri State, was an assistant at Missouri State. Ronnie Bell was actually committed to Missouri State for basketball when Coach Pickens was there, and Matt Sly was another assistant. So that year that I left to go to K-State, I left Missouri State to go to K-State, is when Ronnie had committed right after that to play basketball at Missouri State. And so he's a fantastic athlete, obviously. And then Michigan called and was like, hey, you want to play football at Michigan? And so then Ronnie was like, sorry, Coach Lusk, but if I got a chance to play football at Michigan, I got to take that opportunity. So he decommitted from Missouri State basketball to go to Michigan football. So, And everybody understood, like, hey, if you got that opportunity, you have to take that opportunity because, of course, he's a dual sport athlete. Uh, so Kez and, and his brother, just a, but just an awesome family, just an athletic family. When you've got a brother that plays football at Michigan uh, for three or four years it was and understands that and that's your sounding board when things aren't going well for you. And, of course, Kez wants to play more first time in their lives that you don't play as much as you want. And when you go back home or when you call back home and talk to your people back home, if you've got a brother that's experienced that at the highest, highest level, that, that reaffirms everything that we're saying as coaches, too, when you have that kind of a sounding board. So he, Kez is going to have a bright future. I try to get him more minutes. Uh, I love what he does, and it's just the, the speed of the game, the, the, the knowledge of a scouting report, applying all those types of things. But uh, just an awesome, awesome athletic family. Um, and who knows where his brother will go. I think he, whatever they call him, football, red shirt, gray shirt, or whatever, he didn't play this year. But um, when you have those kind of genes and that kind of, of lineage and uh, genes, you're going to be you're going to be all right, and the substance that they have. So just an awesome family, and uh, it's great too, though, because Kez, you know, the semifinal game for Michigan, they almost gave the game away, and Kez did something in practices like Kez. Now, why did Michigan almost lose last night? And his answer right away was special teams. And so, you know, just to be able to make those kind of correlations to a kid, it doesn't always have to just be about basketball, and he understands it because of his family and how he was raised and, again, his sounding board. He talks to – he told me the other day, I called Ronnie, and Ronnie's like, all right, man, i got to go. i got to go to work. And then Kez was like, go to work? You play football for the 49 It's like, yeah, man, that's work. <laughs> you know, you can't just show up. Whatever, that's weights, film. You know, that's outside of just what the practice is and what the coaches are doing. So – Kez is going to have a bright future because of all of those things. And uh, the special teams 
Uh, the play late where the punt returner fumbled it and then recovered it at about the one-yard line. He doesn't recover that. I don't think Michigan wins that game. Yeah, and it, it's, that's, that's that fine line between winning and losing. Right. You know, and that's the semifinals of college football. But it's the same thing in our games. You know, in those eight-minute segments, or those six-minute segments, uh, it's our guys understanding, you know, in the game, use Tech as an example, Aquan's dribbling down against two defenders and loses the ball to bounce and turns it over. It's like those are the moments that we have to know and understand and pull back, and now let's get a good shot. Uh, we talked about it a lot in the Bethel game. We had six possessions. I'm sorry, the Linwood game. We had three or four possessions in a row where we only possessed the basketball for six seconds. And so it's like, guys, four possessions times six. I'm not very smart. That's 24 seconds. A shot clock violation wouldn't even occurred yet. We've already had four possessions and come up empty. And so it's getting ourselves to that point of understanding ebb and flow in the game. And that's why the first half of Tech was encouraging because we, we didn't do those types of things. And you can't make every shot, but now it's understanding the flow and getting a great shot. And, uh, you know, if the 49ers, who are one of the favorites, I mean, they're the number one seed in the NFC, I mean, they could have two championship <laughs> rings uh, at the Thanksgiving uh, dinner table, right? Yeah, it's going to be – be pretty. you'd be pretty hard-pressed to tell them anything if they uh, – Kez, you know, that's why he's got to come on with it. We need to come on with it so he can have a ring too when he goes, uh, when he goes back home for, uh, uh, for spring break or, or at the end of the season. So, um, but if that happens, that's, that's pretty remarkable. All right, uh, so you get the big game from Josh Early, uh, Rob Martin, who got off to a real slow start in the Lindenwood game. He got into foul trouble, didn't score in the first half. Uh, and, you know, this is not last year's team where often you had lots of outlets for offense. And when Rob Martin is, you know, in foul trouble and does not score in the first half of a game, I mean, that's the leading score on your basketball team. Puts a lot of pressure on uh, everybody else, right? It, it does. And, you, and I think that's the thing with our players is they're not going to – no one or no stat is going to put more pressure on them than they put on themselves. And, they're, and they see that. So for Rob's out, it's like, all right, well, now a guy like Aquan's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll make up for it. And now you're forcing the issue, and that's not going to be good for you. And then Dylan Branson's trying to come back so – he wants to win so bad. All he's done in his whole life is win, whether that's high school, AAU, or college. And so he's coming back from an injury and kind of plays himself back into game shape. And so I'll take the brunt of that, and I'll shoot. And, and now maybe he doesn't take the best shot for him to be effective and efficient. Uh, so it's it's a comedy of, or a combination of all that, and then we have a little bit of comedy of errors of Rob fouling. All his fouls were unnecessary fouls away from the basket. You know, you're not going to be able to predict everything, and I don't want him to play tentative and not foul, and then now just give up, you know, easy drives to the basket or get, allow yourself right. to get screened on ball screen. So uh, it's it's a lot of factors that go into that. But of course, you have to have Rob out there. He's he's our leading scorer. His percentages are great. You know, it's not like he's our leading scorer and just shooting all the balls at a terrible percentage. You know, he's got very, very good. He's in the 40s at threes and high 40s from field goal. And so for a smaller, littler guy, he's taking the right kind of shots. And I thought what he did at Tech was in that first half got guys involved as well um, and then made a play late in the shot clock, got an N1-3 at the top of the key. And that's where we need to be uh, as a group. Uh, everybody's got to get looks. And uh, Adam getting hockey assist threes uh, is where he's at his best. And, um, you know, I thought TJ had a little bit of an off night um, offensively. But again, we get if we can just we just need to get a little bit more consistency on the offensive end and, and make a couple shots. I mean, it's it's a hard game if you're not you know if you can make some threes like Tech. They, if they don't make those threes in the first half, you know who knows? Right. You know that floor can shrink a lot more now, and that, I think that's what we're seeing is our our floor is getting shrunk. We are fast, 
um, but knowing how to use our speed as opposed to just using our speed to shoot it right away. Like I said, those four possessions where we only possessed the ball six times, and two of them were good shots, but now it's understanding, hey, that third or fourth possession, it can't be a six-second possession. We've got to take our time and get a quality look. So it is 56% shooting for Tennessee Tech. It was 51% for Lindenwood. Those are numbers that do not make you happy or your coaching staff happy. What do you have to do defensively so teams are not shooting over 50% against you? I think some of it, Eric, is we're allowing for too much of a, of a scouting report to dictate how we play defense. And what I mean by that is if a team is running, so Tech, for instance, if they're running a high ball screen and we're saying we're switching that, well, let's not just unnecessarily switch that. I need to be guarding the ball so aggressively or more physically to where I switch if need be. I think too many times we're saying, oh, we said switch in the scouting report, so now we're a foot off of our guy or two feet off of a guy, and now people have a head of steam towards us, and now it's too late. Or now we have to make another scouting report for the scouting report. And so if we can get to the point where we're actually more physical up front and have way more resistance than what we've shown up front, and then the scouting report is for if you do your job first and then. Makes sense. And I think right now we're saying we're using the end part instead of using the first part of I, you, I have to guard you first. If I get screened, I switch. Instead of, well, I'm guarding Eric Sean and I got hit by a screen, so now let's switch. Backwards. Guard Eric Sean. You get hit by a screen guarding Eric Sean. Then we switch if need be. And so I think it's just more of understanding that of being a little bit more aggressive um, and not too aggressive because then you're just going to give up straight line drives. Now we have to pull in and help too much in that regard too. But I don't think that we're very physical and uh, enough resistance out front first. I think we're relying too much on, well, the coach has told me the ball screen is coming, so now I'm, I'm guarding from me to you away, which makes me very, very screenable as a defender. And now we have to rely on a switch. Well, now a guard has already gotten ahead of steam downhill on Josh, and Josh isn't a great shot blocker. And so now they're scoring at the rim. Or we do switch. The ball goes back, and now they back us down because we switched and put a smaller person on somebody. So uh, to me, it's more—it's very. I think it's that simple. I think if we can get that short up, is that way with Lindenwood. You know, as far as Cole, we just let Cole just drive wherever he wanted to drive. Um, nine of—it wasn't nine. Three, six of his points came off pick six turnovers, and then he—he he got loose on a three. So there's nine, and then however many times we fouled him. So again. The things that we are allowing to happen. Found them 11 times. It's just it's not even. We're not giving ourselves the first chance first, if that makes sense. We're reacting to everything that happens instead of initiating everything that should happen. So one thing I do kind of hear in that is sometimes you've got to challenge guys' uh, competitiveness and say, listen, man, sometimes you've got to be one-on-one and you have to guard your own yard. You just have to one-on-one guard this guy. I thought that's a, a lot of what it was in Lindenwood. You know what I mean? Because now it's like, okay, well, we're really going to have to go help off of all the, or a guy in the corner or a post player and go double team a guy that we should be able to handle out front. You know, first first things first. Let's let's handle him. Where's our competitive spirit? I, at some point as a player, I'll just look up there and be like, all right, not again. You know, I mean, something's going to happen. Yeah, I'm can't allow them to just keep, you know. And so, again, we can't just rely so much on a scout report every single time. There's got to be that, that sense of pride. And we need, a, we need a guy to emerge and kind of take that role, too. 
know, who wants to be the defensive stopper? Everybody always talks about who's your go-to guy on offense. It's like, well, who's, who wants to be our go-to guy on defense? Here we are, January 15th. You know, who, who is that guy? Is who? Evan Ursher that guy right now? Yeah, and I think he wants to be that guy. But now it's time to let's let's go do it. You know, let's 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 do it. And um, again, everybody wants to play more. Everybody wants more minutes. Uh, there's been a ton of opportunity out there to this point in the season. Uh, but now it's it's time to, you know, you got to draw a line somewhere and say, all right, hey, who wants to be that guy? Don't worry about shooting. Don't worry about scoring. Who wants to be a defensive stopper? Uh, and I think, again, that's been the weirdest thing about this team, to be quite honest, Eric, is they will practice hard, will do the drills, and then sometimes it's just the games come and it's like, well, what, what is going on? And now at the, during the game is not the best time to try to be figuring it out. We should have a game plan. There should be a, a a plan and then a B plan and then sometimes very rarely should you ever have to get to the C and D plans got to be prepared for it but too many times I think we're just we missed the A and we're just focused on the B plan and then we got to get back to where we're hey we're we are really focused on this A plan and that A plan is guarding your yard being physical and, and resistance up front and then we can get to the B plan which is the scouting report and again we do these things in practice we now have got to apply them in a game for 40 minutes, which I thought we did at Western, which I thought we did at Tech for the most part until we went uh, ice cold offensively. Um, but, again, we don't have a huge margin. So if we go four minutes, three minutes, five minutes of a stretch, it's going to be hard for us. You out-rebounded Tennessee Tech. Not just out-rebounded them, you out-rebounded them double figures, 32-22, and you only allowed one offensive rebound i realize there aren't as many offensive rebounds to get when the team shoots 56 percent i understand that but still that was a nice rebounding performance and we talked about all the offensive rebounds in the western illinois game i went up and i went and looked at their their scouting uh their national stats and i don't know if you would believe it or not but offensive rebounds for this team Offensive rebounds per game, they are the seventh best offensive rebounding team in the nation. They are averaging 14 offensive rebounds per game. The game after they uh, you allowed 23 offensive rebounds, the very next game they went out and got 24 offensive rebounds. So, I mean, you've, you've, go- you've battled some good you know, rebounding teams, but you out-rebound Tech by 10. If you're looking for positives in the game, that, that was a positive. Yeah, in the Western game, uh, quite honestly, if we don't give up 15 in the first half, who knows where that game's at? Because, again, we played well in that game. We really played well the whole game. We had the ball. You know, if you're on the road against now they're, what, 5-0, I think? Yes. You have the ball late in the second half, down one. You know, you've put yourself in position. Uh, we played well that game. And then, again, we just we fouled for an unnecessary reason to give them two free throws. Uh, we give them 15 offensive rebounds in the first half. And so to only allow that team to have, you said, I think it ended up being 23, to only allow yes. them to have eight in the second half. If we do eight in the first half, eight in the second half, and 16 for the game, you probably win the game. Yeah. And so that's where our margin for our team is not very big. And so, again, we can't give up these huge chunks of things, these huge scoring drops, or these huge offensive rebounds, or these huge free throw discrepancy. You know, we just we got to have more consistency across the board. Uh, but Tech, again, we talked about it after the game. What gives us why they shoot well offensively is because of their their style. They don't have a they don't play a true center, and so their center is Deontay Wood, who's six four max. You know, and so now they space you and keep the ball in the middle of the floor, and um, so now they're going to give something back on the other end, which was Josh's 
post scoring and the rebounding. So again, to be able to combat that, and we're right there again. It's a two-point game with eight minutes to go, uh, on the road, playing well, and then we don't score. And so it just it's, it makes it a hard, hard game. Again, our margin isn't that great. Um, so when big droughts like that happen, whatever they are, whether that's a bunch of turnovers in a row. <laughs> or it's rebounding, uh, 15 offensive rebounds and a half. It, you know, just a little bit more consistency all across the, the board because, again, it puts stress on so many other things of your, of your game. And so now if offense isn't going, well, now your mind is somewhere else, and now you give up a – we broke down when it was a two-point game. We had a lot of looks uh, that were right there. Adam had a – against the zone, we, we were on a little lob play, and Adam's got it right there at the, at the basket to tie the game. We don't score, then we turn it over, and they hit a three. Well, now it's five. And so just all those types of things, it puts a lot of stress on you now the other way. And so now if you're thinking about that last play on offense and your feet aren't moving on defense and they go down and shoot a layup, well, now it's demoralizing again. And so that's just that compound effect that we've got to find a way to minimize the the highs and lows that we seem to be playing with and and get a little bit more consistent across the board in all facets of the game because basketball is that game. You've got to turn around and play offense, defense within two seconds. You don't have time to just – Sub guys out in and out every single possession. You gotta, you gotta be able to play consistently through it all. And um, until we get to that point, we're gonna put too much stress on playing perfect, which basketball is not a perfect game. And uh, you know, you look at some of these close games, and uh, take a look at the free throw line. Uh, the other night, it was a close game. Now it ended up being uh, an 11-point game. Uh, they outscored you 16 to five from the free throw line in that game, and you had to foul a little yeah. bit late. Uh, but in the Western Illinois game, they outscored you 15-1 to in the second half from the line. I think you went one for seven in the second half from the free throw line. But uh, there is a discrepancy at the free throw line in some of these close games. And we had to file at Western, too. Yeah. Uh, so you take probably four or five free throws off of those numbers. But still, it's still 10-1 to or 10-2, to 10-3, which you can't, you can't have. And I think some of that is... And you, it seemed like you were aggressive with the ball at Tech. You only got six free throws in the basketball game. I mean, you were... It's not like you were just standing out on the arc firing shots. Yeah, and I think Western's a little bit different because, in my opinion, as of right now, and it's very early in the season, but Cissé, their center, is Defensive Player of the Year. In oh, my mind. man, he's and, unbelievable. And the way he protects the rim. Uh, so there weren't a ton of opportunities necessarily sure. to get in there like that. Um, but we, we did play well. But to me, we, just like we talked about defensively, I think it's you can have the same kind of physicality offensively. And so to be able to get to that foul line, and again, up until – uh, the last three games, you know, Josh wasn't really um, forcing the issue as right. much. Uh, so, again, and that going, even going back a year ago, we, we did a good job of scoring a year ago, but we got to the line a lot. You know, our guard play, Chris and Phil were able to get fouled a lot. Israel Barnes, we're, they were able to draw a lot of fouls. And so now if we can get Rob to that point where he's drawing fouls, you know, I don't know how many free throws he's shot in league player on the season, but I, I would like to see his number create and get higher. Uh, again, we got we need to do a better job of with our speed, getting into the defenders when we have our angles and, and picking up more fouls, and then um, you know because I don't think you're ever going to change too much of the discrepancy or the game to game based upon who we might see uh, in particular colored shirts. Well, the team that uh, most people thought was going to cruise to the OVC championship, Moorhead State, they got off to a great start. Uh, they ran into a buzzsaw on Saturday, the same team that's coming to the Show Me Center this Saturday in Western Illinois. Who would have predicted they had a nine-game winning streak going? 5-0 and in the OVC. We'll talk a little OVC standings when we come back with Coach 
Brad Korn, and we'll talk about the opponent coming up on Saturday. No Thursday game, SIU Edwardsville, who just blasted Moorhead State the other night. We'll talk about them with Coach Korn coming up. Much more Coach's Show from Wings, etc. We'll take a tight times. Uh, it was interesting. You and I were talking during the break, uh, and you were saying, uh, you know, sometimes when you drink pop, and I thought, yeah, you're from Illinois, I'm from Illinois, and you grow up in Illinois, you refer to it as pop. I joined the Navy, and I'm down in Key West, Florida, doing my, my four-year stint down there, and the first time I said pop, they looked at me like I had three heads. Like, what are you talking about? Pop? What's pop? Uh, soda. Uh, uh, pop is a Midwest thing, but I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, that's that, To this day, I still say pop, and sometimes uh, I get cockeyed looks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pop. I don't, I don't drink it, um, but um, I actually when I met my, my, met my wife and then going to SIU, a lot of people said soda. So it was a big difference, big difference on a lot of the words. And I think when I, moved, when I went to SIU, it was the first time I heard Dooley and just these things that weren't really on my radar because I just was a northern Illinois guy and a basketball player. So I just was in a gym, and a lot of that world didn't exist to me. So uh, her, my wife's family is a farmer, farming family, so great big world out there for me. So uh, when you went to SIU, that was back when they had over 20,000. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was big, you know, back then. When I went, uh, you know, they had to close. They would close the dorms down because of all the Halloween stuff. They're tipping cars up on the, the strip, and they, you know, they kind of shut things down there for a while. The students were sent home during Halloween. I mean, it got to be a bad situation. Uh, but their their enrollments kind of dwindled over the years. They don't have the enrollment the, when you went to school there. Yeah, it was 20-plus when I was there. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it when I went on my visit because, you know, that was the first time I had gone down there. And um, you know, I think that's kind of been the, how it's gone for a lot of people across America, just especially with – all the COVID and everything else, and internet, and um, but uh, you know we've we felt strong here at SEMO. We need to keep increasing that, and I think that uh, athletics can help play a part in that. Uh, I know our exposure last year helped in a lot of areas in a lot of ways, and so continue to do our part from an athletic standpoint to help the university as a whole. Because I think when people get here, they're very surprised at what they see from a community standpoint, campus life, and athletically from a facility standpoint as well. So. We have a lot to sell here, and hopefully a lot of people continue to see that and come on campus and, and continue to grow our own enrollment because that only helps. Last mention of the Salukis, but uh, do you kind of keep a side eye on the scoreboard a little bit? Like yeah. we're, com- we're coming back from Cookville on Saturday, and that's a big game for SIU. They're hosting Drake. Uh, they got uh, boat raced in the game. Yeah. But are, are you, you keep an eye on, uh, on what the Salukis are doing, what Kansas, K-State's doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we watch. Uh, all those games. I was watching the game on my phone on the way back. Um, you know, Brian's a great friend of mine. I want him to do well, sure. uh, support him, talk to him when before they went and played Illinois State because we had, a, you know, of course, a common opponent. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I always you always watch those guys. Jack Owens, a guy I was an assistant with, an assistant at Ohio State right now. Uh, they're playing um, right now. And uh, Jermaine Henderson's at Dayton, who I was with for a long time in Missouri State and K-State. So you keep up with all your friends. The uh, the coaching world, it's uh, it's a small world. It may seem uh, big to the outside, but there's a. We all know what each other goes through from the ins and outs. And you talk about, you know, SIU getting beat by Drake pretty bad, playing for first place and all that. And 
whatever, however many it was, eight of the top ten ranked teams this lost this week. And uh, it's just it's college basketball, it's college athletics. You never know what another opponent or a team uh, is going through. You never know what another player is going through. And so sometimes we see these highs and lows, like what in the world is going on. Some of it we can't necessarily air out in the uh, in the airwaves. Uh, but there is. It's human beings. It's human nature. Uh, everybody is human. And so uh, you, you try to support the guys that you know are good people and have uh, done a lot for you. And uh, I know I'm, I'm lucky in that regard and have a lot of great friends in the business, and Brian is definitely one of them. Were you surprised when you saw the final score? SIU Edwardsville beats Moorhead State 61-48, held them to 48 points. Uh, the Eagles, 3-for-27 from three-point range. They just could not uh, throw in the ocean there, and they finished with uh, 48 points. Uh, You know, after uh, the early start to the season, I think there were a lot of people around the OVC that said, boy, I wonder if anybody's going to even challenge Moorhead State here. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised by the score. Just lead play on the road. Uh, And Edwardsville brought back more than anybody top to bottom roster wise they're picked to finish second in the league yeah, yeah. so that doesn't it doesn't really actually i'm more surprised at edwardsville at this point to be quite honest with you that their record is what it is i thought they actually would have been a little bit better record wise sure um but uh, so no i'm not surprised and, and again Moorhead, i think when we played them they were the best the hottest shooting team in the league and so again if just like our game in tech you go eight minutes without a field goal and if you're Moorhead and you're the best shooting team from the perimeter in league playing you go three of 27 from three well something's got to give there again if you're if they make a couple more threes, I'm sure that fuels their defense a little bit better. And now maybe that game comes down to the wire. So, again, when you, if, you, if you don't have uh, what you normally are good at, it's going to be tough on the road. And that's just, again, going back to a lot of great teams. Even the guys that have all the resources and all the things, like Purdue, for instance, loses at Nebraska. It's, it's college basketball on the road, conference play on the road. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm not you could have you could have won some money there had you bet Nebraska in that right. game. Yeah. Nobody thought Nebraska was going to be Purdue. Yeah, and then you know, and they lose to Northwestern. So to start the season, you would think, okay, well, Purdue if they lose, it would be to Indiana rivalry game or Illinois, who was in the top ten, or you know. But Northwestern's a great team. Guy I worked with uh, for a long time, Chris Lowry's an assistant there at Northwestern, so they're going to be defensive minded, scout kind of report ready. Northwestern had beat them the year prior when they were number one in the country. So. League play it just doesn't it doesn't matter it really doesn't stats, averages all that stuff you got to come and play every single night. Yeah, Riley Minix went five for thirteen from the floor in that game. Oh, for five from three, he can miss a shot. Yeah. Amazing. But I think Lathan shot poorly as well. Yeah, there. five of seventeen, one of seven for Lathan from yeah. three point range. Morehead State Minix is an NAIA guy. The guy at uh, Evansville, and I can't think of his name now, he's hurt. He's, he's been hurt for a few games. NAIA guy. There are some guys, I mean, that, that can play ball that are not just at the Division One level. Moorhead State's big guy last year was an NAIA transfer. I mean, there are some guys at that level that are Division One players, right? Yeah, and then come to find out, Minix and Alex Gross, who you mentioned a year ago for Moorhead, they're best friends. There you go. So it kind of helps in that regard. But, yeah, that's I think now even another year, and people probably get tired of hearing about it, but the COVID year and the portal has allowed for there's great players everywhere. That's why you you know, you hear coaches oversell all these games, myself included, when you're playing, I suppose, a D2 or a NAI school. So like everyone oversells everything. It's like, come on, get out of here. These guys are D2 or these guys are NAI. And it's like, no, there's great players everywhere. Minix 
Hachimura or whatever his name is from Evansville. Right. Um, you know, there's great players everywhere, and they're, they're difference makers. You know, I don't think that Moorhead is doing what they're doing without Riley Minutes. No. Evansville, you see what their record has been since Ben has – the player we're speaking of, Ben Hachimura, I think his name is. Since he hasn't played for him, I think they've lost five straight. And so, again, one guy can really yeah, – he's, he's been hurt for a few games. Yeah, and I think they've lost five straight now. I think they're one in five, and yeah. Missouri Valley played with him healthy – we know that team's not one in five, but again, it's not always who you play; it's when you play them. And unfortunately for us, we played them at the time that they were extremely hot, and we hadn't quite settled into where we are. So again, there's there's great players everywhere. Evansville starting point guard was at Bradley, went Division two, and now he's back at Evansville. And so it doesn't really matter. I think one of SIU's better players, a wing player, was a Division two player. So uh, Israel Barnes for us a year ago, Eric was a Division two guy after he went Division one. So. The portal and COVID has really allowed for them for it to be a, a much wider net uh, for great players everywhere that can produce. I think that's the main thing. A guy like Israel Barnes come to us and averages nine or ten a game, whatever it was, but he averaged 18 for his team at the Division II level. Well, that that translates when you have production. That no matter, I don't care where it is, if you produce that way and play and perform that way, there's going to be a level of production that comes with you, and so. Being older and produced in games, you can't substitute any of that stuff. We can do drills all day long, but if you've done it in a game, I don't care where that game is, NAI, D2, whatever the case may be, junior college, whatever the case may be, that that production translates. And let's face it, uh, you don't win the title without Israel Barnes. You don't win that championship game without Israel Barnes. I mean, he was a really, really big player for you. Yeah, he was, and, and again, he... Defensively, you know, I know there's not a lot of statistics that show for defense, but his defense in the OVC tournament was phenomenal. That corner three in our bench, if that doesn't go in, we lose the game in overtime, and we're singing a whole different story in tune. So I think it's great for me and the staff moving forward, how we navigate everything. Guys like that really, really, really matter. And if you had another guy like that this year or two guys like that this year, you know, you, it just it helps you just because college basketball is so old right now, and it's going to be that way a year from now still with the COVID year. How surprised are you that Western Illinois has won nine in a row and they are 5-0 and and all alone in first place in the league in their first year in the conference? Yeah, um, I, I am a little bit surprised by that just because of their style is a, is a unique one. They don't shoot a ton of outside shots, but, again, they know exactly who they are, and that's what they, they do. They have one guy that's really good that can shoot it and everybody else not really. Yeah, but the best part is, is they, again, and it's kind of weird. You always see these these um, styles in college basketball kind of take root. I think a few years ago, everybody was running ball screen motion type of an action. And now this year, I'm seeing a lot of OVC schools, even uh, Little Rock, um, um, Tech, Western Illinois, they're taking their guards, their twos and their threes. Guys that would normally be out on the perimeter shooting threes are coming off ball screens. Well, they're now backing down, and we call it a Barkley, Charles Barkley, because of the way that he played. You're seeing a lot of guards with the back down post moves now in league play. So kind of a year ago in the Missouri Valley, even in the Big Ten a year ago uh, from Penn State, Pickett was their player that did that a lot. Um, you're starting to see a lot more, and maybe it's just because of the change of the game with the fives and post players shooting more threes. Guys like Adam Larson, those guys that used to be somewhat back down guys, have now it's kind of shifted. So you're seeing a little bit maybe less of a skill set from a guard. So now people are inverting that and, and really posting guards a lot more. And so for Western, um, they've got multiple guys. You know, we talked about, well, how come there wasn't more of a game plan for uh, number four kid that got 16 on us? It's like, well, he averaged four coming into the game. We were game planned for those other guys. So I think you're seeing a lot of different guys, especially in the OVC. It always seems to go that way. 
uh, but a lot more guards taking the ball and backing you down from 15, 17 feet, which puts a lot of stress on your defense because where's that help going to come from? Yeah, and when you go over scouting reports, uh, you just have video of what to go on. You've got stats for what to go on. It's like the, the SEMO women's game on Saturday at Tech. Their point guard had never scored in double figures in two full collegiate seasons. The most points she ever had was eight points against an NAIA school. She's not a factor scoring the ball. She can handle She scores 21 points. For, you know, it, it, it totally just blows up a scouting report. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? It, it, it does. And, of course, you're, you've got to do your best. Coach Weber always used to say my job or a bench guy's job or whoever's job is you've got to hold someone at or below their average. And I think that's pretty standard uh, thought process. Uh, but sometimes, especially in the OVC, it just seems like it happens all the time in the OVC, not just in our games but all across the games. Some, there's always that guy that has the potential to pop up. And have a career night. You know, for us a year ago, is Dylan Branson at Little Rock. He has a his career high. If he doesn't have his career high, I don't know if we win that game. And so, you know, you have the guys that have your higher averages, but there just always seems to be in the, in the OVC. There's just always, whether that's women's basketball or men's basketball, uh, that player that can pop up and get a big night any any night. And I know TSU has kind of been that scary team in the past for me. Just, of, you know, the roster. It's like, well, you might average six, but it, you know, shots, or it was this guy's night the other night before, the other team was in a zone, or a lot of different factors that go in, in league play. But it just seems in the OVC, more so than any other league uh, that I've been a part of, that that supposed fourth, fifth, sixth player can pop up and have a huge night. So SIU Edwardsville was picked to finish second in the league behind Moorhead State, and they just beat Moorhead head-to-head by double figures and totally nullified the best three-point shooting team in the league. Now, SIU Edwardsville comes here, and you know they're going to be feeling good about themselves. Uh, A couple of areas where they excel, they are the second-best three-point shooting team in the league, and nobody turns the ball over less than SIU Edwardsville. They average 10 turnovers per game. Shoot the three, don't turn the ball over. That's a good combination for them, a challenging combination for your defense. Yeah, it is, and, and again, just like anything else, I'd, I'm, I'd be interested to see where they sit assist-wise. Um, why they don't turn the basketball over is Rayshon Taylor and uh, Polo Miner, and they're two lead guards. They're um, next to last in the league in assists. So they dominate the ball, and that's what makes them good. So, again, it's like we talked about with Tech and their style, what makes why you're able to get offensive rebounds is also why they're able to score on you. And so for Edwardsville, it's, they don't have high turnovers because their guards dominate the basketball, and they're very good players, and rightfully so. Uh, and so we have to be ready for that. But I do think a lot of the key to their team, too, of course, you're going to talk about Rayshon Taylor, who's been an all-league guy, it seems, uh, since birth. And then you have Miner, who really is kind of the uh, the fiery, competitive, toughness uh, out front guy for them. But also Shamar Wright uh, is having a huge, huge year for them. And so again, they brought back those four starters, those four guys uh, from last year's last year's team and last year's run, where they, I think they had the uh, 17, 18, 19 wins it was a year ago. And uh, Coach Baroni, they're tough and physical. Uh, this was kind of their year. They've had this thing built for this to be their year, and um, you've got to control those two guards out front. But you cannot allow for uh, Shamar Wright to go to go nuts because he has that ability and. Uh, as we talked about, a guy that can pop up and get 20, 25 points, he has that ability. And if you're allowing him to get 20, 25, again, like the stats show, those two guards are going to kind of do what they do. You're not going to be able to take them out and eliminate them completely from the game. That's not a, 
a possibility. You've got to do everything you can to limit them, but you can't let Shamar or Lamar have a huge night. And they are averaging 21 free throw attempts per game. Now, they're not elite. They're 7th out of 11 in free throw percentage, but they are shooting 21 free throws per game. Yeah, a lot of ball screens. You know, they're not Phil and Chris, but a lot of that same type of two really good guard dominant, ball dominant guards. Uh, so they put a lot of pressure on you. We know Rayshon can fill it up in a hurry, uh, but Miner is. He's one of those heat check guys, though. Yes. If he hits a shot. He'll just come down and take a 23-footer. I mean, yeah. he's a scary player. I he think. is because, you, again, you think you you think that he's unassuming or he's not really playing the game or he's kind of just out there. But that's how he plays. He's got a very good pace about him um, that he plays with. And uh, I know that two years ago, because he unfortunately got hurt in our game last year. Torres ACL, yeah. But the year prior to that, this is my first time seeing him live. You know, a video, like you said, there's that's all good and well. But until you see it live. Right. The way he was moving and some of the shots that he hit, it was like, there's nothing else we could have done. I mean, that was a pretty good defensive effort. So he has that ability to score the ball that way. All right. Um, what uh, what's, the, what's the game plan for the Cougars? I know you've seen them on video, and I know, you know you've got a different assistant that works up the scouting report, and you'll learn more about them as we get closer to Saturday. you still got several days, but uh, I know you have, in your mind you've got a, a bit of a game plan what you've got to do to slow them down. Yeah, and we talked a lot about it at the beginning of the show, Eric, is, is we have to be tough and physical out front. You know, if we're, if we're back on our heels and allowing those two guards to operate freely, it's going to be a long night for us. It just is. Uh, so we've got to be phys- more physical and more resistant up front, uh, meet the challenge physically for 40 minutes, and we just can't be so headstrong on the way that a game is going to go. We, and, and now when that game doesn't go the way we thought, and then we just kind of stop for a segment, that's what happened to us at Lindenwood. Um, you know, we got to understand and, and bring the physicality and, and bring the energy and effort required for 40 minutes because it's not going to be just one possession. They're going to keep coming. They don't come out of the game. They're going to play all the minutes. Uh, so we've got to be – our motor has got to be running higher um, than it has can, and for longer stretches than it has. And it's a, it's a winnable game. There's a lot of winnable games in this conference. Uh, but the second, again, you have these lulls or these drop-offs, you're going to put yourself behind the eight ball. And we just don't have that margin to be able to bounce back from that. 1.30 for the women, 3.40, 3.45-ish for the men on Saturday. And uh, I know Coach Tuke would much rather play an afternoon game. He doesn't like sitting around waiting uh, for kickoff. You the same way? You, you like these uh, earlier games on Saturday? I'm sure you like them when we've got a long trip like from Cookville. Yeah, I was a little bit jealous of Moorhead and SIUE being able to play at 11 a.m. Um, I know when I was at... At K-State, all those games are either one or three based right. upon you know ESPN and all that type of stuff. So I, to me, I, just, I think it's a great time uh, for college basketball, that one to three. I don't know how it is for fans and other things going on in town and all that stuff, but um, I love the Saturday afternoon games. All right, 340 for the men, 130 for the women. Hope to see you at the Show Me Center as the Red Hawks and Cougars will get it on on Saturday afternoon. Coach? Appreciate the time. Uh, hope everybody is healthy when we get to uh, Saturday. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Okay. Sounds good, Eric. Thank you. Red Hawks head coach, Brad Korn, and that'll do it here. Thanks to Rachel Cook, Mike Rennick, our engineers on site. Appreciate them. Uh, ESPN radio programming coming up. And don't forget, right here on SEMO ESPN, we've got the uh, NFL game between the Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers at 3.30. You can listen to it here. And then it's St. Louis Blues hockey tonight here on SEMO ESPN at 7 o'clock. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. So long from Wings at 7.